Mikel Arteta doesn't like VAR. Harry Maguire doesn't like VAR. And a couple of weeks back, Liverpool, yeah, they didn't like VAR. So the big question is, why are we keeping it if everyone's complaining about it? Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Newcastle United and Manchester United struggle in Europe again. VAR seems to be at the centre of every game going and Spurs lose 4-1 to Chelsea but still it feels like they won. My name's Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com and Neil, I'm not sure how your tolerance is for VAR but everyone else seems to be running a tad bit low. Yeah, it's it's. I was going to say it's been one of them weeks, but it's one of them weeks after another week after another week, and it just feels that it's getting a little bit ridiculous. Um, anyone that's seen the memes that are going around this week, it started off Liverpool in the Spurs game a couple of weeks ago. Everyone was laughing at them, saying, "Ah, it's nothing to do with VAR, no big deal." And now, all of a sudden, three or four weeks later, everybody has a gripe, and some of the gripes are very, very justified. Some of them are. If you look at the sports game this week, are a little bit less justified. Some of them are calling a time waste. And, and I think it was summed up by a couple of the managers this week. Some of them are using it like Arteta for different reasons to maybe take away a little bit from the team. And then you get a couple of honest guys like Postacoglu who comes out and says that, you know, sometimes the referee's decision is the referee's decision. So it's a little bit of the madness mixed with the common sense. But one thing's for sure. There's never a dull game at the moment. There's sendings off. There's goals disallowed. There's goals that should be allowed. There never seems to be a game where it's just, yep, yeah, that was absolutely bang on and everything was perfect with that. Far did what it was brought in to do and we're all in a better place. So instead, here we are giving out about it yet again. Absolutely. Um, Dave, Arteta came out and had a little bit of a rant and seemed to come out on the worst side of it. Um, Postacoglu yeah. kind of just went with the flow and again as I said earlier seems to have kind of won in, in, a, in a situation where his team had lost but with Arteta he probably was, he was probably more in a, 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 frust- a frustrating situation yeah. less so than Postacoglu who couldn't really complain Yeah well Arteta's full of it because one of the I can't remember who it was. Was it a podcast? Yeah, it was. I think it was Alan Shearer had a quote from last year when everything went his way in a match and he was full of praise of it. So I don't care about his opinion about Barr because he's obviously going to be pissed off when it goes against him and next week when it goes with him, he's going to be full of praise of it. And it's the same for most managers every single week at the season. It's a horrible thing and it's a horrible technology when it doesn't go their way. Uh, I think Shearer had it. Now, obviously, because it was against Newcastle, so he was ready. But it was word for word, and I checked it out, and it's verified. He did. He said it. So I couldn't care less what he thinks of it this week, because next week it'll be different. Listen, Arteta and many players and managers do not help this situation either, but we don't talk about that. It's always about the referee's fault. And the problem with referees has been around way before there, because of how the game is played nowadays, because the influence starts as soon as the whistle blows. The screaming of every every tackle. And lads, by the way, we see this on Sunday up in our own park. You know, everything is, is scrutinised and everything is why to get in at the ref. 
So for this week, in terms of VAR, I don't care what Arteta's opinion is because it was completely different another time and it'll be completely different next week, just like any other manager. Um, it's a bigger problem, in my opinion, and it's not just down to referees, to be honest, but man. Is, oh, I, think, I can't remember what was said over in America, um, you know, guns don't kill people, people do. It's a, yeah. it's a bit like that with the VAR. It, it's not, yeah. you know, if you give referees VAR, they're just going to make worse decisions. And that seemed like what's happened here because referees, and it's shown them for <clears throat> for the level of refereeing that they are, mm-hmm. it's nearly painted in front of them and they still can't make a right decision. So should they have that VAR there at hand? Because it's making them look even more foolish. Potentially, but at the same time, they need to be progressive and they need to have a look at this and start looking at the system. And um, if something's not working, they need to they need to they need to do away with certain aspects potentially. Maybe like one thing that works is the offside. One thing that works is the goal line technology. Yes, there, there was that one mistake I think at Villa Park, but overall it's fairly decent. Maybe the uh, the offside technology that was on at the Euros and at the FIFA needs to maybe come in. It's a bit more sensible by the looks of it. Does offside need to change? Not maybe the the system that's used in the World Cup or whatever seems to be a bit, little bit more automatic and quicker and a little bit decent. But they're fairly consistent. I'm not too bothered about them. But maybe they need to take back some of what they look at because even today, you know, I don't care. It was a handball. It it, it didn't matter. It was disallowed. McManaman was trying to make a point today that it was six or seven plays before the goal should they have gone back that far but at the same time you know it was part of the play to score the goal that would have equalised Liverpool tonight in the Europa League and it would have been three off but my my point that I was born my wife with was if the ball had gone out for a corner would they have gone back to VAR and cancelled the corner for the handball they probably wouldn't have but I don't know what the parameters are once there's a goal how far do they go back? So there's certain elements that they can change and doctor. Like, and I'm, I'm not defending. Like, it was a handball. I don't care. It was 3-2. I'm not going to get that petty. But, like, m- like, maybe there's certain things that they can shave off and say, right, we're going to put it back to the, to the manager. Because, for example, last night, and this is pre-VAR, by the way, as well, I think the referee last night was levelling up decisions. Do you know when a referee used to make a mistake and a guy got sent off, trust me, the second half, there'd be a few dodgy bookings uh, uh, and another player be sent off on the other team they balance it out I think the the, you know, the, guy, the penalty you know you got in the second half yesterday was a blatant levelling up from the one in the first half or potentially the sending off like the referee lost his head because he knew he made a mistake but say for example Rashford and this is where the, like, the web and IFAB in my opinion need to grow up and start taking back some of the ownership a bit like what Ange Patsogu said like user in charge act like it but say, for example, instead of slowing down Rashford, watch it five or six times in real time and see is the blatant mistake there. Because the blatant mistake isn't there. It isn't clear and obvious in normal time because mm. the ref waves it off. So if you slow it down and press pause, of course it's going to look like a horrendous step. It's the exact same with Curtis Jones and Casemiro and all the other ones that are close. You slow them down so slow, of course they're going to look terrible. Like, it's ridiculous. And maybe that's where they need to look at certain instances going real time, real time, real time, end of story. And then, right, maybe there is, and then slow it down. Or maybe just look at it in real time and say, right, stick by your decision. And to be honest, I think a lot of us would would, would go, okay, fair enough. And and this is where they need to start maybe looking to be progressive and having weekly meetings to really sort it out because they're trying to look, uh, the dreaded C word that I say as well, right, contact. Once they see contact, oh, that's it, pen up. 
but we all know there's certain instances where players like players go down with the changing of the wind. Uh, McAllister on Sunday, it was embarrassing. Ross Barkley was was had the ball and McAllister was coming from behind, and and Barkley did the obvious thing where he puts his both arms out, not even swinging, and basically McAllister's face met his hand, and it was like an eye poke, and he drops down with his two hands across his face. We all have poked ourselves in the eye. There's no way we drop to the ground and, and roll around. And he gets us free. How many times do you see players, arms across the chest, and then they grab their face and they get the free? Like, it's a, it's a bit of a catch-22 where, yes, refs need to take ownership, but players and managers need to cop on. and Maybe they need to start fighting back and going, you're not helping the situation with all your con artistry and all your play actics. Like, we're just constantly under pressure 90 minutes of the game. And because they're under so much scrutiny, that's probably why they're looking at VAR within an inch of its life. So maybe they need to relax more and go, screw this, we're not looking at an inch of life, we're going to be a bit more practical about it, and say, for example, Rashford's instance, just look at it in real time. And yeah. if, I don't think it's, if I don't think I've made a clear and obvious mistake, I'm going to own it, I'm the rest, and say, yeah, I, I think I'm right. Slow it down and pause it, of course, I don't care. No, I'm going with it. Deal with it. Yeah, Neil, if, is it not VAR fully and wholly? Is the majority of the problems the rules that they've actually brought in and how how shady these rules are, how vague these rules are. And when Dave talks about someone getting fouled um, and they get a yellow card just for a normal, typical general foul and they're walking a tightrope then uh, to getting sending off, it just seems that football now... They're always watching for something. They're always waiting for to, to send someone off. They're always waiting for that handball or that incident now. And they're forgetting about, listen, this is a game of football. Enjoy the game. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I mean, the biggest thing at the moment, Roy, is there's so many, it's, it's open to interpretation. So if you're on the VAR and my team's playing the game, you might see a tackle and you might say there was no intent. I, I heard this a lot the, the weekend with the Spurs game and, Spurs versus Chelsea, you could hear Gary Neville in the background going, no, no, they've said the, that word again, intent. There was no intent to injure or there was intent or it wasn't malicious. You know, there's these extra little buzzwords coming to give the refs either a problem or to give them a get-out-of-jail card. So the example was when uh, Yadogi came through with the two-foot tackle um, and Neville was like, no, 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 that's the one where professionals want rid of it. And then you could hear him almost immediately, no, they're after saying the intent wasn't there. So in other words, Dave hit the nail on the head there as well. It was the contact. There was no contact made. If Yudogi caught his foot with that tackle, he's a, it's a definite red. But this time, because your man got his leg out of the way in time, it wasn't a red. So they're killing themselves by A, having grey areas, and then B, having interpretations that, let's be honest, you ask 10 people. I didn't even see the... the um, the Rashford sending off originally last night, tuned into RTE or, or Virgin. Uh, Richard Dunn was on the um, on it going, yeah, definite red. I tuned over to Virgin Media, or sorry, to BT, and they were going, oh, unbelievable that they gave a red for that. So there's professionals on the panel, and they both have two completely different views of the of the incident. What was your Regardless thoughts? of whether it was slow motion. Um, it's one of these where you get sent off for that. I, I think it was accidental. I don't think he did it for a second. It would have been a yellow card and I would have gone, yeah, you know what, look, he didn't go in to do him. He was in control of his body. A little bit like the Curtis Jones one. Curtis Jones didn't go over the ball to break a man's leg. He went to get the ball and then rolled over the ball and got your man's leg. They're accidental, but they are a bad challenge. 
that they warrant a yellow or a caution. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't think they're reds. If you go in and you come in two footed and you and Roy, you know yourself. Um, what's your matter? Romero off Spurs the other night, descending off. He went through his own countryman. I thought that was ironic. He goes through Enzo and he absolutely put an extra. I'd say eighty percent after that tackle. Mm. Now, we were defenders. When you went through and you won that ball, you knew when you were going the rest of the way. Now, in our day, once you won the ball, you had a license to do whatever you want. You could have kicked your man off the field. Well, you just can't do it now. But my point is, you know, you know or you knew at the time mm. when you're going to put that extra 50% in to make sure you go through that guy. And it, it's not done by accident. So that one I don't have a lot of sympathy over because you know you're going to get caught out in it. Just win the ball and get on with it. Whereas the Rashford one, the Curtis Jones one, it's a clear. They're not intending to go in and break the guy's leg. They're not even trying to tackle him that bad. They're in control of their bodies. They're both standing. Just unfortunately, it took contact. And look, it's meant to be a contact sport. Mm. If VAR isn't there, they're probably nothing. You know, so is it a good thing, Dave, to have VAR to highlight these things? Because uh, some of these are dangerous tackles. Or, yeah. again, is, is VAR a bit of a hindrance in these situations because the referee has made a decision on the field and he doesn't feel that it, it merited anything at the time? I think, let's go back a bit before it started. One of the biggest reasons why VAR came in is because you have the constant coverage in the TV and it was just never-ending scrutiny of everything. Is it a, is it a free? Was it not a free? Was it a penal? Was it not a penal? Look at all this. Look at the dive and look at this and all the giving outs about the game. And that's why it's brought in. And if anything, it's brought it on to another level of scrutiny now and to a, a, a different level. And that's what needs to be talked about as well because we can blame VAR and we can blame refs as well. But half of the reason why this came about is because of the way the game is. Like, the game is shit compared to the way it was 25 years ago. Like, we cannot pretend it's still brilliant. But, like, as soon as the whistle's blown, players are cheating constantly. Managers are chasing after the fourth official. Never stood up and never stopped. Running. Like, I think Klopp, when he pulled his hamstring, it was embarrassing. And Arteta, <laughs> the, way, the way Arteta goes on as well, like, and they're allowed to do whatever they want. And players are allowed to do whatever they want. Like they don't even touch the face, and they put their two hands down. Mm. When 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 does when does that get talked about and embarrassed and, and, and embarrass them? But like a bit like what I said about McAllister, yeah. when do they start embarrassing them? Because they're the product, they're the brand. No, we can't say anything about them. Players and managers are one of the biggest reasons. How we play the game is one of the biggest reasons why Bar came, and now they're still finding the angle. So they are playing a part as well. And this is where IFAB, FIFA, FA. Now they, none of them have the balls. But they're going to have to step up and go, you need to cop on as well, as well, because you question everything. And let's face it, lads, one, our old, one of our own managers, Al McGovern, every tackle, what did he do? Hey, why? Because he might get into his head. And he James might influence the rest. Exactly. And that's why it's done. Yeah, it's, it's, and what I'm trying to say is, it's just when you look at the bigger picture, it's a broader thing that needs to be looked at as well and not just go, let's get rid of VAR. Because the problems will still be there. And this will still be there, and the messing and the cheating will still be there, and we'll still be moaning and giving out about the theatrics and what are we going to do to stop these lads doing what they're doing? That's probably what it was originally brought in for because we never shut up about it. And now that we've brought it in, they, they, yes, they've made mistakes, and I don't think they're using it in the right way. 
but ultimately it's a, it's it's an overall thing that needs to be looked at and the way the game is played is and that's why when you look at rugby they make certain real changes they find an angle and they go right that's not working we need to stop that because what they're doing is wrong while in football yeah no problem you keep roaring and shouting at my fourth official I don't care yeah no problem you keep diving that's okay make the rules to stop it and stand by it and stand up and take ownership of the game but at the same time they need to put it back on players and say you need to clean up too because Ange saying what he did was brilliant on Monday but trust me loads of his players are con artists and doing it as well so he can give out and say and be nice about it but make sure you uh, you give out to your players when they're acting the maggot because they certainly did against Liverpool when your man just dived into I think it was the left back just dived into Robertson for no reason but he got the free kick in a booking but he's the one who did the diving into him to make sure he got the free so it's a, it, it swings around of us but that's the biggest reason why VAR came so that needs to be tackled as well as just saying refs are crap yeah um, refs are crap but when I, mm-hmm. I, I I do think but that the yeah, but I do think that the, the the officiating is poor. I don't think that I don't think that mm-hmm. I, I I would say that VAR is just enhancing that viewpoint of them because they're making more and more mistakes and everything is you can see five five or six different angles now and it just you must look at it, Dave and see some of the decisions that are made and question how they're coming to that decision. So it doesn't help them. It, it doesn't help them, uh, VAR, in, the, in these regards. What I would say, what, what I would say though, is, is not necessarily VAR that's crucifying them. For me, it's the rules that they have put in place that's crucifying them. And they're having to follow them. And then VAR... They are, VAR is then, you know, that camera that in, into making sure these stupid rules come into play. So, oh, what, channel, what, they're what, being made based on the game and how it's being played. They're just not making them up for the reason. There's been instances. Ah, they are, Dave. They are, Dave. Well, this, this handball rule yeah, has come out of nowhere. There was never a need for the handball rule. And all of a sudden now, if but it just if, if it looks handball. at your hand, it's, it's, a, it's a penalty. As you said, them two penalties that were there last night uh, in the Manchester oh, United crucial. thing, the ball but just... They were levelling off. Where, where is this thing of uh, um, uh, your body position? Uh, it's... Yeah, the natural body position. What is a natural body position? No one knows what a natural body position is because there is no natural well, what, body what position. What was the original handball rule? Was handball just handball? Handball was if it was deliberate or if it wasn't. And it was up to the All interpretation right, like, of the referee. And generally, do you remember playing, Dave, and going, fucking hell, you know, we're getting it week in, week out, these referees, these handballs. Well, it wasn't there. It just was not there. How many games have you played? How many games have you watched before the last five years? And all of a sudden, handball is the, is the biggest thing that's ever happened in football. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just yeah. mental. It's almost but a at the same time, That could be a development from VAR. But at the same time, I don't really want to talk about the rest anymore because it's boring because, yes, we all know what they are. But we also, because the mainstream won't talk about it because, God forbid, but the way the game is played is wrong. It is wrong all day long. Look at the cynical fouls that Guardiola does, and he's brilliant at telling his voice. Out. But guess what? Professionals say that's clever. Hayden Mullen said it today. Refer- uh, the players are buying free kicks and killing time here against West Ham, and they're well within their rights to do so. In other words, cheat away. Like, 
like, and, and, and sometimes it's nearly an impossible job for us. I'm not on the ref side, by the way. But this is where a lot of it's coming from because of this kind of crap where we're watching it and half the time we're giving about players. So they kind of go, right, let's get in the bar so we can stop some of these dodgy penalties for diets because, you know, let's give them a hand. Now, if they're not helping the situation, that's, we all know that. And that's where Howard Webb or whoever it may be needs to grow a pair. Like, sending somebody down for a week off is not good enough. As soon as they have to make a second mistake, that's it, you're gone for the year. And start working on getting newer referees or I don't know what you do because I thought it was just me. Exactly, or whatever it may be. But that's where, that's up to them to start doing it and start taking ownership. And and FIFA need to back them and and the FA need to back them. We only talked about last week the Ballon d'Or. It's all about the players now. Like, the players have taken that over and we just give it to the best lads. Like, they're running the game now and they're allowed to do whatever they want. So I don't... I don't think that we're we're disagreeing with each other here, Dave. What I think we're saying yeah. is is that there's multiple uh, parts to this. There's the players, yeah. well, there's the rules, that. and then there's the referees themselves. And all in all, there is a combination of those three that is mm. is making a farce of the game. And I think that's what the equals is. You know, referees plus rules plus players acting the, the bollocks equals well, right, a game that's kind of it's down. starting to die because it's it's starting to get boring watching this shit. Lads, you know when you watch Sky Sports or you watch whatever match during the week or the Champions League and they always have an ex-pro uh, commentating on it. Your Gary Neville's obviously on your on your uh, Sky Sports, your characters, and then during the week it could be a mix of anybody, McManaman, etc. That's also adding to the problem, the fact that they're real-time children, the referees, be it that the ones that are on the bar, be it the ones that are on the pitch. And they're favouring the wrong thing, yeah. They're second-guessing them in real-time, going, oh, no, that's Mm -hmm. not. So not only do you have VAR, not only do you have another opinion, not only do you have another subjective opinion, then you have the commentators second-guessing the decisions that they're making and making it as public as can be. So they can never win. Mm -hmm. The referees are never going to win this battle. And I'd agree with Dave and Bart there, these things that aren't helping referees out, the least of it should be the fact that the players are on the pitch falling around like idiots, conning them and fall. Like Raheem Sterling the other night in the, in this Tottenham game ran into the sports box twice, fell over, got no penalty. He should have got two yellow cards. All that, VAR was brought in to stop fellas diving and cheating, but there's no repercussions when they do it. They simply kind of go, oh yeah, look, it wasn't a penalty. Yeah. Well, Sterling yeah, came off his arse. He was on his arse after no tackle. Just as a, as a side point, Roy, I was talking uh, on Monday with a guy out of work. He spent, um, he was in uh, Holland for the last couple of years and he supports uh, PSV. He got a season ticket and went there. And he finds it hilarious the amount of reaction to VAR in the Premier League. He's like, you do not get that in the Dutch League. The game is kicked off within a minute. No one even talks about it. You're in the pub or you're afterwards talking about, you know, the game that you've seen. There's very, very, and he said it's literally contradictory to what you see in the Premier League. Whether that's because it's the most high profile, the most money that's there, but he's like, VAR is no issue to me whatsoever. So, well, is it just by country? Is it that the UK refs are absolutely on. in England, though? You look back in the day, even in the 90s, we all know who the refs were. Like, because I don't know, there's a bit of an obsession in England because obviously they like things to be done properly and everyone follow the rules except themselves. And that's why, if I'm a Liverpool fan, if somebody else cheats, it's a disgrace. And our blood like, but if we get away with it, but I think there is a slightly higher obsession in England with officiating, or maybe it's a cultural thing, but I definitely would agree, and I'm not surprised 
I'm not saying they're better in Holland, but I just don't think it's, there's quite the obsession. And it's nothing to do with yeah, the boys of the league. Yeah. But I wonder, would it be Holland? Would it be Italy? Would it be Spain? I was actually watching it. Did anyone watch it? Uh, Madrid and Barcelona, they were showing their best moments over the last 10 years. You're Ronaldo and Messi and all. Man, if I was alive in them games, they would have been playing with seven men each. Mm. They'd kick the crap out of each other. Sergio Ramos ran 60 yards to grab someone by the ear in the corner. Pepe burst mm. the guy over the end, line off the ball. And Correo, uh, Correo Mourinho wouldn't have been able to poke your man in the eye, remember? No, and isn't yeah. that, is that not a great reason to get rid of VAR? We're missing all these great yeah. moments. <laughs> More violence off the ball. Atletico Madrid to dominate. Yeah, I'd want VAR just so we can catch him out and go, ha ha, caught you. You know? But... <laughs> It is becoming it's becoming a tool of the moaner where you go three phases back and four phases back just to find a reason not to give a goal by the smallest of margins, which it and I, this, goal. It, that that's not what it was ever meant to be. It was meant to be very black and very white. Yes, he's off. Yes, he's on. Yes, it's a goal. Maybe, yes, it's over maybe. the line. And that's why I, I that's why I dislike it so much because. Uh, for me, I'd like to get rid of it. I don't. I don't like it at all, uh, because it's taken away that you know. It's taken away the 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 entertainment isn't there. You know, they're uh, you've to, you're going back looking. I said for reasons not to give a goal. Uh, even the the offside rule now. The offside rule is if if your moustache is in an offside position, you're offside. Where. It, they were trying to give the benefit of the doubt to the attacking player and your leg could be in line yeah. with them. And, and why why isn't that there? That that was a good, I thought that was a good rule. So then you're, you're not offside most of the time. So defenders had to defend properly. And, you know, I, I just think that they're, they're they're trying to take goals away from games. Although uh, uh, probably some a lot of shocking defending around these days. So um, uh, that's probably not yeah. being coached either. But... Okay, uh, I'll leave it with one final question each. Uh, Dave, are you, do you like VAR? Do you think it should be kept? In its current format, no. Um, if they're practical and they're sensible and don't have any agendas and look at the game and the rules as itself, it could and should work in various aspects. I definitely, they definitely need to be rounded up. And the reason why I'm saying it right like that is because it's not going away. I really don't think. Up until yesterday, I would have said, um, I've watched World Cup and I've watched the Euros and I've watched most of the Champions League and I haven't seen half of the drama. Yeah, obviously, last night didn't help. So I, is it just in England, whatever's going on? But yeah, it's, uh, the reason why I'm saying I probably the way I am is because it's not going anywhere, but it could and should. It's done the right way, whatever it do. Okay, uh, my stance on it is goal line technology is great. Uh, I'd be happy if VAR went and the referees uh, just refereed the game. And uh, yeah, I think you're going to get as much controversy anyhow. I don't think it's going to change too much. Neil, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think I'd be happy with goal line technology offsides. And uh, I'd like to see the refs just ref a game for once and let's all just talk about their decisions and rather than analysing it to the end. Um, I'm with Pastor Coglio on that one. Sometimes when the ref says it's a goal, it's a goal. Sometimes he doesn't, he doesn't. Um, but I do like the offsides. I, I thought they had that right for a good period. Um, and obviously they've had a couple of little scares. But I'm a fan of technology. I'm just not a fan of the way they're using this technology. And they seem to be twisting themselves in, in, in knots rather than coming out with more good solutions. So... 
Um, yeah, for me, I'd be happy to see the end of it other than the offside and the goal line. Okay, um, if we have anyone listening at this, this stage, thanks very much for getting through all that with us. Um, I know it's probably tough on you. Um, let's talk, Neil, about, I suppose, Ange Postacoglu losing against Chelsea, but being the winner in the end. It, it was a crazy game. It was a brilliant game, right? Like, it just, you know what, it had, you know, don't get me wrong, you wouldn't watch it every week because it was a little bit crazy how it was, like, Spurs come out of the blocks. I actually have Spurs supporters in work now. They've just found each other since the last few weeks. It's like the four guys in the building that all support Spurs now get together for an hour a day. And they were really confident in this game. And they were saying, I think we'll win this 2-1-3-1. One, one. Um, and then, obviously, they came out of the blocks. They were on fire. They were killing Chelsea, teaching the lesson. Got a goal up nearly to small offside decision. Then Romero has this little moment of madness. And then in the second half, Yudogi is a moment of madness. But the crux of the game was this high line that Spurs played with 11 men, with 10 men, with 9 men. And then this inability, and this is what I found fascinating about it, the inability of Chelsea, who are a billion-pound machine of a team, who couldn't break an offside. It was just unbloody believable. Couldn't break an offside at the halfway line there. At the halfway line. And it was, you know what it was? I, I played a team, this is my 14s, we played a team that did exactly what Spurs did. And it's been years since I've seen a team, Tony Adams style, standing halfway line with a hand in the air. But the manager yelled out, they all ran out, they ran past everybody. They caught us offside 15 or 20, 20 times in the first half. And I thought, this is unbelievable. It got them in a half time. And all their runs were made for deep. And we scored seven in the second half. And I thought, yeah, that was job done. And I'm watching Chelsea do this, and they had a half time. What did Pochettino do in the dressing room? Did he take out the whiteboard and just rub out the halfway line? <laughs> it was ridiculous. Jackson, who played up front for Chelsea, scored the worst hat trick <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. You two might disagree when you two saw my hat trick, but this was the worst hat trick <laughs> that I've ever seen. And he's walking off the field holding up the three fingers, and he's, yeah, man, three goals. He was in their half seven or eight times asking for a ball to be played through. There was one time uh, they looked at him, one of the players looked at him, his own players looked at him, uh, I think it was Palmer, when he was standing four yards offside and all the sports lads moved up. And your man kind of looked at him as if to go, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? It was just Keystone Cops. And then obviously, you know, eventually they were going to get in after you tried 20, 30 times. But... uh Spores come out of it with that kind of badge of honour. They never gave up. They didn't change their style. And for anyone that hung around long enough to hear uh, Postacoglu's interview afterwards, he was like, it's just the way we play. And I don't care if we're five or six or seven. That's the way we're going to play. And then Carragher kind of gave one of his, uh, God, I hope they get out to five players next week. <laughs> I can't wait to see him try that. So the game had a little bit of everything. It was fascinating to watch. Um and for Spurs, I think anyone that's watched Spurs in the last few years, what a contrast under Conte to see the way that they played with that fluidity going forward. Like their fans must be on cloud nine watching week in, week out at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, it was a, I was looking at Pochettino and he was trying to direct his team to go wide and keep passing it around and he's pulling his hair out. They... They didn't look good. A 4-1 victory just yeah. kind of masked uh, them. And yeah. 
you'd worry about them because they, they don't seem to be for the players. Like there's no players there to be bringing in. I, I, I'm not seeing much from Chelsea. No. No, like that's that's the worrying thing about it. They made that incredibly hard work because as great as what we've seen from Spurs, they literally gave them the blueprint what to do and they didn't have the patience at all. And at, at one point it was like, geez, I actually don't think this is going to happen. Um, but if you kind of break down the team and stuff, yeah, they spent a lot of money on certain players, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily great players. Like Mudrick's come in, is he that good? You know, at the moment you'd say no, but was he that good before? I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to be honest and say I don't know. Like Fernandez is a hundred and odd million because we all say they're billions and people expect more, but maybe they've overspent for generally half decent mid-table players. Like, like you look at what other teams have spent. Look at like Spurs spent a forty million on Madison, and look at the the difference and the influence he's made on the team. So even though it's they're a hell of a lot of money, maybe the quality is not quite there as as much as we think. Like, you look at Sterling, he's probably walked into there going, this, what have I done here? Now, I don't know if that was by choice or was he, or was he moved on by City, but um, they're on a different planet. And as much as Pochettino, you would trust him to, to, to get a job done out of him if he was given time and patience. But with Chelsea, pre, obviously, this new owner, you don't know how trigger-happy he is. The longer he stays, the better for Chelsea, but it, it, it's not happening anytime soon, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um, okay, we'll push on to the Champions League because, Neil, you wanted to talk about Manchester United and Newcastle United and uh, just not able to put a sort of performance together after a few weeks. Is their squads not strong enough? Is it not big enough? Yeah, it was something that kind of, I, I, I guess it's following on from the Chelsea Spurs game during the week. I know it was in the Champions League game, but... Spurs have now damaged their season because they've two players suspended and Van de Ven has gotten a really bad injury. So that's really going to scupper them for a few weeks. I was watching a Newcastle game the other night and you look at their team, uh, even when they played United in the midweek last week, we were kind of saying, well, Newcastle really shuffled the pack. But Newcastle have quite a few injuries now this year and they're high profile. Uh, players that they can't, like Botman and Isaac and stuff are out now for them. But that team they put out the other night was unrecognisable again and they got, they got a bit of a chase and uh, they didn't play well at all and it, it could have been a cricket score at the end of the day. Uh, and then I'm looking at United and my fear for United would be is that when you look at the 11 that he put out against Copenhagen, it's probably the best available to him. He doesn't have a whole lot coming back in. And um, If you take Sancho, who's frozen out of the squad, it's not like they've any big names to come back. And he's putting out that kind of mixture of 11 or in and around 8 of the 11 that are the same team week in, week out now. So the Champions League can be a great kind of, you know, dissuasion from the Premier League where you go out, you get a result. You know, Arsenal did it comfortably last night to be Sevilla 2-0. You can rock on from a, a result like that on the weekend then and it gives you a boost. But when you're not going out and winning and it becomes a toll and your squad becomes to, it begins to get depleted, and in the Champions League in particular, and this is why I said Champions League rather than Europa, because you have to play a good side in the Champions League. You can't really rest the core of your team or the spine of your team. Um, and I remember watching Liverpool year in, year out. Like He would still play a very strong Tuesday slash Wednesday team and then try to go out and repeat it then on the Saturday. So my question, I guess, is, is that can it be counterproductive when you don't have that City scenario where you have a, a, a good player in your second string that can just walk in there and churn out results? 
And for me at the moment, the two losers of the group are Man United and Newcastle. It might cost them in the long term in the Premier League because they're struggling with the two games a week. Yeah, that was going to be my question, um, Dave. Do you think Manchester United is struggling anyhow, but do you think Newcastle could suffer the consequences of being in the Champions League and, and not get into next year's and maybe it was a year too early for them? Possibly, but the one thing some might see this as a criticism, some might see it as me giving them the way up. It's a bloody hard group. Mm. Like Paris Saint Germain, Borussia Dortmund, like even at their very best, they still mightn't get out of it. And it, it, it's a bit, it's a bit of the quality of the group as well. I think because Dortmund are serious. Like Europe is Europe. Any like it takes a couple of years to get used to it. Like you know, because some mightn't realise just how strong some of these teams are. They could be a bit ignorant to them. But some of these are seasoned teams. Obviously, they stuck it to Paris and whatever. But I think for them at the moment, I think a a different draw, we might be talking about Newcastle, but we're going to be talking about United at the minute because the way they are. But I think a slightly easier draw might be a little bit easier. But, you know, you look at the league anyway, even if they weren't in the Champions League, with the fact that Spurs have showed up this year, with the fact that Liverpool have showed up this year, are they really far off where they should be? Maybe not necessarily in terms of Newcastle. I think with United, they have bigger problems. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's the, the unfortunately we're stuck in a tough group this year, and I think obviously that's where the debate obviously is the is the squad good enough? They don't have stars in inverted commas, but they've a fantastic team. But obviously we know they're not good enough to win a league title. So in my opinion, they're certainly not going to be good enough to win a Champions League. And this kind of group is is no is no uh, is no easy way out. So yeah, I think they just. Got a got a bit of a, a bad one this year when when the when the when the when the names were pulled out. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's fair enough. Them injuries obviously are going to hinder their chances. Mm. So unfortunately for them, it's not at the right moment. But this happens; these games build up, and you do have to play your best players in the Champions League if you want to have a shot. But it's where they want to be, Roy. You know what I mean? So they should enjoy the experience, regardless of how well it mm-hmm. is this year. Yeah, yeah. Because if you want to be winning titles and winning Champions League, a la Man City, like get get used to it and and learn this year, no matter how it goes. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. Uh, there's plenty of push behind them, so I don't think that they will be too worried uh, financially about having to, you know, build a squad or build a team or maybe being out there for five or six years. I think they're going to be up there anyhow, nonetheless. Um, another man who will potentially be in the Champions League for the next four years is Diego Simone Neil. He's extended his Atletico Madrid contract until 2027. Uh, why do you th- why do you, why do you think he has got that extension there? Um, and is it was it time for him to move on, or, or do you think that it's still the right fit? I think if he's staying, as in if he's signing, I, I doubt very much he would do it if it was you know going to his head type of thing. Here, I'm sure he's doing it because he feels he's getting the back in. I'm sure he's doing it because. He feels fresh enough or he wants to achieve something. Um, I guess my point would be, it's interesting that no one ever really came in from it. You look at the Premier League where all the money is and the stars are, maybe look at a like of a Chelsea or someone like that where they might have gone, you know what, we're going to bring in a very single-minded individual, very like Tuchel, that type of character, uh, very much you know his own man. Mourinho even asked the way Simeone goes on. He's, he's a master of the dark arts, as they say. He's very much his own man. 
and I've always found it intriguing that the Premier League has never gone in for big time. There's never really been a time or a job that he's been linked with in there. So maybe the next best thing for him, you know, he isn't going to be a Barcelona or a, um, a Madrid manager uh, because of his style, I guess, because of, you know, he, he brings a level of kind of toxicity with him, I guess, at times. But for him, he obviously feels it's a fit. There's plenty of life in the old dog. He's happy where he is. It'll be interesting, you know, where he can go with this uh, with this team. But he still is, and we all say it on the, on the show, he's the third best back manager in Spain, which is generally why he's the third best in the league, is in they'll finish one, two, or three. He has been able to break the Barcelona slash Madrid kind of uh, old school, winning the league every every year. He's, um, well, I just feel he would be a coveted manager elsewhere. Um, but I guess we're not going to see it. It's all I'd say is that I've had enough years from on the opposite end to Liverpool. The kind of way he brings the games, the war that he brings, the madness that he brings, I, I wouldn't be unhappy not to see him for an, a, another while. And that, I guess, is a kind of a compliment into the way he, he manages his teams. But um, I just don't know what more he could do at Madrid, win a league title, win a Champions League. I don't think they're quite there yet. Um, but obviously for him he feels there's another couple of steps on his uh, on his journey Dave I I don't mind Atletico Madrid I'm not mad about Simone I'm not sure you know you're seeing him there slapping Brendan Rodgers hand uh, going off the pitch there when they they beat uh, I think they drew did they draw up there in, in, in Celtic Park but his goings on sometimes are a bit erratic but you've got to like a team that goes out and and kind of upsets another team that they'll go out and I know you'll 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 turn to the to the dark arts and and uh, how you wouldn't like that, but it makes it fun, it makes it enjoyable, it makes it plenty of talking points around his teams and the teams are successful. My question's going to be though to you: Do you think it would be successful anywhere else if he went, or is this kind of just the right fit? Yeah. Yeah, like when Mia was talking there, like for some reason, a bit of Conte was coming into me. Mm. They're a bit similar. They're very passionate on the side. They play a certain way. And he came into England and it didn't seem to quite fit and hence why he's probably gone. I think with Simeone, the fear I'd have, and and it's, it's a guess, let's be honest, a year and then the bubble of course because the players are going F this or look, look at what you know you're doing with Ten Hag you, you question whether some of them are kind of giving up on him already I'd say with somebody like Simeone coming in and, and demanding that kind of high level of intensity and hard work he'd be doing well by the looks of it like you know but whatever way he has it down to a T and he has that power and respect in Atletico so if anyone comes in you know a bit like Ferguson, Ferguson and whoever is or any manager who's been more than five or six years when you come in, you do what the manager says. He runs the show here and he has that kind of level. If he had to start again, I don't think he'd ever get to that level again because mm. the game is a lot different than when he first started 10 or 15 years ago where players stand up and go, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And um, that's where I think he would struggle, especially the game, or any league for that matter. So being there and running the show and having that kind of presence and able to impress what he wants, yeah, I, 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 I think, yeah, uh, I think he could struggle. That, that, that'd be my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's staying in Spain and he's got four more years, and maybe he's looking for that Champions League that he hasn't got. I think he has. He's a couple of league titles. He's a couple of uh, Europa League titles. So 
He's got he he's got a few trophies under his belt. He's just missed that Champions League, which he's missed out on uh, just barely on a couple of occasions. So maybe that's what he's uh, he's there. Anyhow, he will be there whether you like him or not. Neil, thanks very much. Dave, thanks very much. And to you listening, thanks uh, very much. Especially through the VAR part, let us know how you how you feel about VAR because it's it's a very contentious issue and. Uh, be great to hear your thoughts. Talk to you next week.